Let us pray. O Lord, because of your Son's resurrection, you have promised to grant us whatever we ask. We thank you that he has taken our sins and opened up the way to your throne. We confess that we do not often ask as we ought, and we frequently fall into despair, forgetting your mercy. Give us faith to trust your grace, to bring our troubles to you, and to be comforted by your Son's presence in our sorrow, so that it turns into joy. In his name, amen. Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is from the Gospel according to St. John, the 16th chapter. We hear again the 16th verse in Jesus' name. Please rise. Jesus said, In a little while you are not going to see me anymore, and again in a little while you will see me, because I am going away to the Father. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. When the drought in the land of Israel became severe, Elijah went to the neighboring country of Sidon, the home territory of wicked Queen Jezebel. God sent him to a widow there whom he had appointed to provide for him. And she obeyed the words of the prophet, although to her eyes all she saw was a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil left in a pitcher. But according to God's promise, the jar of flour did not run out and the pitcher of oil did not become empty. Many days passed in which Elijah, the widow, and her son were provided for by this miraculous food. But then her son suddenly became sick. And died. Through her tears, she said to Elijah angrily, What is the issue between us, man of God? Have you come to remind me of my sins and to kill my son? In response, Elijah tore the boy out of his mother's arms, hurried him up to his own room, and laid him on his own bed, and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you sent tragedy on this woman with whom I am staying by killing her son? And on her behalf, Elijah prayed for the widow's son to be returned to life. The Lord listened to Elijah's voice, and the boy's soul returned to his body, and he came alive. Then Elijah took the boy and brought him down to the house from his upstairs room, and he gave him to his mother. As a result of all this, the widow had a stronger faith, knowing that God's word was true. The church has been in a similar situation with our hope, our faith in God's promise. He said he would save us, but our salvation died. At the foot of the cross and at a distance from that place, the disciples of Jesus saw him crucified, saw his lifeblood stream out in conclusive proof that he was dead. But Jesus' word to his disciples remained, A little while... In a little while you are not going to see me anymore, and again in a little while you will see me. And it was a little while later, three days later, that Jesus' word was fulfilled. He stood among them alive, and he blessed them with forgiveness for them and for the whole world. The situation is now repeated again. Jesus has again departed to be with his Father so that we no longer see him. But just as it was for those disciples in those three dark days, the word of Jesus still remains. In a little while, you will see him again. But even now, he is with you in sorrow. 
and your sorrow will turn into joy. Those disciples only had to wait. They did not have their Lord with them. They were in darkness and fear from Friday night through all of Saturday until Sunday evening. Amen, amen, I tell you, Jesus said. You will weep and wail, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. All they could do was wait for this to be fulfilled. You are in a waiting time like this now, but you also have something else. Jesus has said to you now, and surely I am with you always until the end of the age. How is he with you? He also said, in fact, where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am among them. When difficulty strikes, the normal path is to isolate, to withdraw, to cower over the wound. If you've ever had a pet with an injury, a dog with a sore paw or something like it, you'll see illustrated how we behave. The dog will cower and hide. Even when its loving owners come to comfort it, the dog will try to get away. It might even lash out and bite, but probably at least it will growl and try to keep the wound away. And that's how we tend to be when we are hurting. It's dangerous to expose a wound, so we'd rather hide it, not realizing that we're keeping it from being healed by doing so. The world encourages us with the mentality to buck up, to push through, to not be a burden to anyone else. The devil will whisper in your ear that it's simply not safe to show your pain to anyone else. After all, don't you remember all those other times when people have added insult to injury when you've opened up before? When the disciples were hurting the most, Jesus came right into their midst. They had locked the doors, and Jesus appeared next to them. Jesus knows you too, and he knows the pain that you feel. You will weep and wail, but the world will rejoice, he says. He understands, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. He understands your sin. He understands what has led you to it, but he is also the one who has paid for that sin already. This isn't your excuse to sin, because yes, Jesus ate with sinners, but not to approve their lifestyle. He ate with them because he loved them and he offered them forgiveness. They were broken. They were outcast. They were hopeless. Jesus showed them where they could be saved. Jesus did say the words, stop judging so that you will not be judged. And this is another thing that naturally happens when we're stuck in our sins. We look at the sins of others. We talk about how horrible those sins are, especially when those sins are the subject of political and social issues. We find ourselves talking about those sins as though they are so much worse. Think about whatever political issue you want to and think about the clear word of God on those issues. Those are sins. It's clear. But then also think about what Jesus said. Why do you focus on the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not consider the beam that is in your own eye? Take those words to heart and beware lest your Lord comes and calls you hypocrite. Instead, look at your own sins. 
Look at your own need. See how sinful you are. And if you have trouble recognizing your own sin, then look through each of the Ten Commandments one by one and examine your life. How have you failed in each one? How have you chosen your own way instead of God's way? How have you made excuses for your choice? See how low you are. Rejoice that Jesus is with you. Jesus has taken every single one of those sins. Jesus has taken the sins of all of those others whose sins have seemed so much worse to you. But if you're honest, now you can see that your sins are much worse than theirs, can't you? But Jesus has taken them. Not only in sorrow over sin, though, but in sorrow over waiting. You know God's promise that Jesus will give you eternal life. Why is he taking so long? But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, for the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow to do what he promised, as some consider slowness. Instead, he is patient for your sakes, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And how does anyone come to repentance? It's through the word of grace, the gospel of Jesus, Jesus himself being present during this time. Think of that widow. She had received the promise. We don't know her heart, but it seems that she was enjoying the blessings of God. He saw fit to strengthen her faith or to give her the faith that she lacked, but he did this not by immediately giving more blessings, but by taking her son from her. It's striking to me how often I read the Bible and think, well, that's not how I would have done that. But God has said, certainly my plans are not your plans, and your ways are not my my ways, declares the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my plans are higher than your plans. So in taking that widow's son, God drew her out from where she was cowering in her wounds and hiding from him. And she came out in anger and grief and pain to Elijah and exposed to him her raw wounds. Elijah shared her pain. He took her pain with himself and brought it to God. This is the work of God's ministers, and it's the work of your, all your fellow Christians. Like iron sharpening iron, fellow Christians can di- direct your complaints, your prayers up to God. Jesus said, Amen, Amen, I tell you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. The prayer of that righteous man combined with the prayer of the grieving widow and God heard. Of course, you may not always see the immediate answer of your prayers the way Elijah and this widow did. You may not get your loved one returned to life right away. But again, as that phrase Jesus said, in my name. And that means according to his will, in the context of his grace. When we pray, thy will be done, that's what this means. We pray in Jesus' name, meaning that we pray in accord with God's will, learning to submit to God's will and God's plan and trusting in him that his plan is best. Trust him that he is with you in your sorrow to comfort you with things far greater than you can hope. You may not see it now, but you will see him again. And so you can be sure your sorrow will turn into joy. Another Old Testament figure received a child back from the dead, although admittedly in a figurative sense. 
When Abraham was asked to sacrifice his only son, the son whom he loved, Isaac, he obeyed. I'm reading through that three-day journey that the old man took with his young son and their servants, the arduous hike up the mountain, and the quiet conversation between father and son, it would be hard to imagine that father's heart not filled with sorrow. Here was the son of his old age for whom he and his wife had yearned. God finally answered their prayers with the impossible gift of a child after they thought their prayer was beyond answering. And they, God even promised a great nation to come through the seed and a blessing to all nations through his seed. And now he would kill him. Abraham had offered sacrifices to God before. He knew what it was like to drain the blood from an animal. He knew what the eyes of a dying lamb looked like. Now he would see that in the eyes of his son. This is horrible. But God was exercising Abraham's faith. He tested Abraham. By means of this test, Abraham demonstrated his faith, and God confirmed the foundation of that faith. The angel of the Lord appeared and stopped the blade, turning it aside to a ram caught in a thicket. Then God's word came to Abraham again and said, In your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. By bringing Isaac to life from this certain death, Abraham understood now the promise of eternal life. Can you see the tear-filled eyes of Abraham now glisten with joy? And so Jesus tells his disciples, you will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. For Abraham, the sorrow of losing his son was turned into the joy of a promise reaffirmed. Even greater, the sorrow of Jesus' death was turned into the joy of his resurrection. And that resurrection meant forgiveness, life, and resurrection for you and all who believe in Jesus. It's the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that his descendant Jesus provides this blessing to all nations. Jesus uses the illustration of a woman giving birth. A woman giving birth has much pain because her time has come. But when she has delivered the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of her joy that a person has been born into the world. Now, while I can't speak personally to the experience of mothers in this regard, I have heard this confirmed by some women who have given birth. But in any regard, Jesus' point stands that the joy comes in and overwhelms the pain. That's the promise for you. In the same way, you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. Jesus foretold about the end times, telling about false prophets, wars, natural disasters, and he said, but all these are only the beginning of birth pains. He wanted his disciples to be ready for the pain before the joy. St. Paul picks up this same imagery in his letter to the Romans and says, For we know that all of creation has, is groaning with birth pains right up to the present time. And not only creation, but also we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we eagerly await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Indeed, it was for this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he already sees? 
But if we hope for something we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patient endurance. Christian living is painful living. Read Jesus' words throughout the Gospels and see how often he describes how difficult is the life of his followers. Persecution, self-sacrifice, forgiveness, compassion, all of these things are painful. But all these things were also suffered by Jesus for you. When he said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, that describes Jesus' own life. He came into your flesh to love you who were his enemy. He prayed for God to forgive even those who nailed his hands to the cross. Through those nails, he did forgive all sins, the sins of his killers, your own sins too. Through his cross, he won your resurrection. And so you bear your cross now. But that cross will lead to resurrection for you. Your sorrow will turn to joy. There's a key thought buried in this. Notice that Jesus doesn't say your sorrow will be replaced by joy. No, he says your sorrow will turn into joy. Jesus isn't just standing across the finish line, urging you on, encouraging you to push through the pain and reach to him. He's with you. He is carrying you across through the wind and the rain and the pain and the torture, bringing you into the safe harbors. Already with him, you have the joy hidden in the cross. Day by day, your sinful flesh will be tortured with temptation and selfishness. The world will bring you down and call your attention to the pain all around you. The devil will whisper in your ear that every bit of pain is proof that God doesn't love you. Against all of these voices, remember Jesus' voice. I will see you again. Your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. And you have that joy even now in the midst of pain because you have your loving Father. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, Jesus says, he will give you. And this is sometimes hard to grasp. And you can find any kind of teacher you like who will tell you what you want to hear on this or on any truth. You want to get rid of your pain, you can find a teacher who will tell you how to get rid of it. But hear God's word instead. Asking in Jesus' name means in line with his truth, in faith, and in trust. It doesn't mean that you can demand whatever you want from God. That's putting yourself above God. Instead, think in terms of the Lord's Prayer. When you pray for God's name to be hallowed, God's will to be done, all of that is putting yourself under his gracious will. And you see that his will is to give you the kingdom. His will is to give you joy. His will is to forgive you, to deliver you from evil, to bring you to the mansions that Jesus is even now preparing for you. The beams of the cross that you bear will become the roof beams of the mansion that Jesus prepares for you. And now, while you bear that cross, like Simon of Cyrene who carried Jesus' cross, you're not alone. Jesus is with you. Look into his eyes. Feel his touch in the hands of the pastor. Taste his body and blood in his supper. Hear his voice in his word. 
He has not abandoned you. He is with you in your fellow Christians who bear your pain together. All together, we gather to comfort one another until this little while passes and until you see him again. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.